Content warning, strong language and sexual references and probably adult themes. Three, two, one, here we go. Welcome to the Film Geek Collective. Welcome to the Film Geek Collective. Ah, yes. <laughs> Thought I'd borrow welcome to the show. Public domain tune, as I usually do. But, uh, you know, I don't know. <laughs> Can I make it into a song, a theme song? I don't know. The Film Geek Collective. You get the idea what I'm doing. Anyway, today we're going to be reviewing One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. So, yeah, this was a Big Five Academy Award winner with authentic patience populating in the extras section. You've heard of method acting, but mainly cast me- many cast members kept in character, camera or no camera, not just one. Jack Nicholson freaked out at this the first time. Now, if you haven't seen, if you haven't seen One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, by the way, definitely, definitely watch it because it's quite emotionally honest and you know in places raw and that's about as much as I can say on that subject for that moment but so yeah it's Barack Obama's favorite movie it inspired Metallica's song Welcome Home also known in brackets as Sanitarium or you know Welcome Home Sanitarium Sanitarium yeah you know I'm I actually quite like Metallica's music myself but you know okay any fellow Metallica fans in the audience Woo, Metallica. Anyway, enough filler. <laughs> so, yeah. A good bit of trivia about this movie, first of all, is as Louise Fletcher, who plays Nurse Ratched, won Best Actress for her role, she finished off in American Sign Language, signing, For my mother and my father, I want to say thank you for teaching me to have a dream. You are seeing my dream come true. Thank you. Which, yeah, apparently it might have been a first. So, yeah. I think that, uh, that there are two films that I've seen so far that really show just true emotion. And that is this, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. And in the acting department, while it's way more simplistic and stuff, Carrie from 1976. Sissy Spacek or Spacek. I, sorry, I'm, I have no idea how to pronounce her name. I apologize if I pronounced it wrong. Is it Spacek or is it Spacek or... I apologize, but okay. So, yeah. It was uh, one cast member, Vincent Schiavelli, had a recollection saying you had to be in this movie who, who you would be if you were insane. This was Christopher Lloyd's film debut and also Brad Dourif's. Now, Louise Fletcher was going to film Nashville for Robert Altman at Paramount and Lily Tomlin wanted to play Nurse Ratched initially, but they ended up swapping. Every big leading actress of the 1970s wanted the role, but she got it, not realising everyone wanted it until a reporter visiting visiting the set brought it up just ever so casually. Now, it's like the Scarlett O'Hara of its day, you know? And, uh, yeah, one other thing I would like to point out. You see the United Artists logo at the beginning. Well... Last time I checked, uh, you know, MGM owns United Artists, but yet Warner Brothers seems to own this film in the home entertainment section. You know, I'm I'm still slightly unclear on where things are going because, you know, MGM home entertainment's breaking off from 20th Century Fox, so does that mean the UA library's going to Warner Brothers or whatever? But anyway, that's more of a studio thing. Speaking of studios, most major studios turned this down because it just took so damn long to get made. Now, it took 10 years to clear up a misunderstanding. Kirk Douglas, who earned the rights to make the book into a movie, made a vow to send the book to, to uh, Milos Forman. However, Czech Customs... Sorry, um, I really hope I pronounced that right. Uh, C-Z-E-C-H. Czech Customs conf- confiscated it. However... 
Kirk thought it was rude that Foreman never said whether he got it or not, and Foreman thought Kirk had broken his promise. Now, Michael Douglas sorted things out. He contacted the director. Now, Michael Douglas was trying to get in, into production, you know. So that was at least 10 years right there. So, yeah, an obsolete flag is also seen on a patient's bedside table near the beginning of the movie. The American flag, before 1957, depicted 48 stars. Now, the film's 1963, so it's meant to depict 50 stars, but if he's just holding onto it as an antique, I can understand that, definitely. You know, so whatever the future tense form of anachronism is, or not, or who knows, anyway, moving on. So sometimes in the film industry, sometimes out of it, the picture's just nicknamed Cuckoo's Nest. You know, like you call Game of Thrones, Thrones, sometimes, I don't know. Or How I Met Your Mother, Mother. Anyway, I've spent five minutes blathering on, and the six people who are still with me, okay, let's go to the shout-outs. Shout outs to Tessie Cat, LC Cool, Film, Mama Tick, Zach Ascot, Real Sharks Podcast, aka Ruby Shaku, Cinematics Podcast, Schlock Cluster Video, Marbella Unicorno, which is how you say Marbella Unicorn in Spanish, I think, according to Google Translate. I hope I got that right. Please tell me if I got that right, Jessica. Anyway, um, Apple Park Films, The Chris Watt, Autistic in Melbourne, Naked Airplane, Larry1937, 2621, Talk Me Into, Films with Amy, Zeus, Caution Spoilers, JGWR, who, his screen name, their screen name is uh, Boris Karloff's Felt Better. It's interesting names sometimes. Anyway, um, El Salt One, Heavenly Imagined, Still Mellow, Pop and Fears Podcast, who I've done a few crossovers with now, and Eric Sluss. Now, uh, yeah, I'd just like to mention if you've not listened to the Pop and Fears podcasts that I'm on with uh, with Hamish Downey and also Beck, I highly, highly recommend it right now as of this release. There's one concerning Phantom of the Paradise a bit that's out. And I did one uh, not too long ago on my podcast where I crossed over, you know, some thoughts about The Wizard of Oz or whatever. So, you know, search for that on Spotify and go wherever you got it. So anyway, yes, yes, yes. I apologize for having this episode two, three weeks late, probably three weeks late at this point. So let's just get into it. However, now that I'm going into the spoiler section, I have to give a trigger warning. You know, I think you're you're better safe than sorry. So I'm going to give a trigger warning. Um, We mention uh, suicide and there's a brief mention of a sex crime. So yeah, those sensitive to such subjects may not want to listen on because while I mentioned them briefly and was in the context of the storyline, I don't know what could upset people. You know, you know. Okay, so, okay. Three, two, one. Okay, so uh, Mildred is Nurse Ratchet's first name. However, she never had a first name in the book. And I'm thinking... I'm also thinking how the film starts and ends with the outside world, a world which we only see six times, including three times the basketball ring, and there's really another splash of colour in the pool. I only remember the colours from the previous viewings because, for once, in my podcast, I decided to do an experimental viewing. And that is, some people have suggested that one flew over the cuckoo's nest could work in black and white, which I love the look of black and white, just the... You know, it's not especially high contrast here, and I get the appeal of colour in this movie, which is probably the way I'll watch it next time, but it was a nice experiment. 
in the way that it made the medical facilities feel more, you know, cold and detached and, you know, bleak, you know? And, uh, yeah, that's, that's what I think. You should, uh, definitely try to experiment watching some films in black and white. I know Blade Runner, Dark City, uh, that sort of thing, but only on repeated viewings, you know, view it as originally intended on the first viewing, of course. That's what I always do. And I've seen this movie now about three times. So yeah. Okay. So yeah, there's a splash of color in the pool. Anyway, what was I mentioning? Now the first 15 minutes are very important to the movie. They can really set the tone, set the characters, set whatever you want in a particular movie. In the first 15 minutes here, we get a sense of normal routine. We meet two or three of the patients. We see Randall, Jack Nicholson, come in. He thinks of a reason he was brought here because he, he and, I quote, fights and fucks too much. Now, it's uh, better in Jack Nicholson's voice, but the real reason he is there is due to an immoral, illegal act with a 15-year-old girl. That cannot be skimmed over because I believe it's the only thing that dates the film in a bad way. The way it's seen is much less of a crime than it is. So yeah, I'm going to move on from that. That, that was what the second trigger warning was for, just, just in case, you know. So okay, moving on from that now. Mr. Martini is played by Danny DeVito, a character who is first seen in this stretch, one of the characters who's sort of kind of introduced this Harding who attempts to repress his homosexuality because after all this film is set in the early 60s. And of course Billy Bibbit who stutters and you know a few others. I like the quick cutting style concerning like reactions, quick arguments, really keeps up the rhythm of the dialogue. <coughs> yeah. Also side note, I've coughed on my podcast before but I've never yawned and I'm recording pretty late <laughs> so yeah if you hear a yawn that's probably why okay so yeah let's get into I'm going to alternate again like in Goodfellas I found the format of trivia film analysis trivia film okay moving on so filming at the mental hospital unadjusted sorry unadjusted for inflation at today's prices cost $250 Jack Nicholson was told to kiss a guard who unshackled him, and he did. Supposedly, in some versions, the guard is seen punching him. The guard's actor may not have known it was going to happen. So, yeah, I was talking about uh, the quick cutting style, so I'd like to add to that reaction shots that were used extensively just for the sake of giving other characters prominence. Jack Nicholson had so many reactions filmed. The footage for that, his reactions, you know, it, it lasts for about 10 minutes total. That includes the longer shot toward the end of the movie. Now, at one point, Louise Fletcher stares a cold, cold stare when Jack Nicholson comes back from shock therapy, but her reaction is to a direction given, in fact, by Milos Foreman. This seems to have kept in check what his habit of filming when the actors didn't know it. Now, speaking of electrotherapy, both Louise Fletcher and Jack Nicholson saw firsthand a patient receiving electroconvulsive therapy. Some people think Jack Nicholson did it for real in the movie when he didn't. Apparently, I've heard of rumors that they don't really use electric stuff, even back then, a lot of the time. I'm actually not quite sure about that. Might have to research. I'm sure there are some people in that field interested, you know? But uh, anyway, so, yes, where was I? Yes. 
it doesn't it sorry it does make sense the way randall says talking helps him to think when one of the workers says chief can't hear a fucking thing sometimes i talk to myself and bring a form of inner monologue outward perhaps to express happiness anger or whatever and oftentimes it helps now does anyone else do that let me know so jack nicholson really nails acting crazy but this film proves that he can achieve nuance and emotion, resignation, deadpan, perhaps just plain old extroverted when not acting outright crazy. He never seems to overact. His character just seems to be like that. Now, some people say Nurse Ratched has good points. If the saccharine music isn't turned down, the old man can't hear it, for example. Later, I give insight as to what Louise Fletcher thought of her motivations. Ratchet is misguided. Film at 11. Now, the great thing about Nurse Ratchet is how she's understated. Normally, it's the bad guy who is flashy. Ah, yes, just a little side note about, uh, you know, the film at 11 thing. <laughs> Only very select people get the joke. But for the rest of you, I thought I should just quickly explain that. You know, uh, future generations and now generations may not know that uh, news stories were filmed and then processed. And then the film of the news story would be shown at 11, like physically. These days you can just get it instantly, of course. You know, it was more difficult back then, I guess. Anyway, moving on. Now it was Jack Nicholson who suggested the patients only become rebellious when his characters enter the, when his character enters the scene. Now there was a fallout between him and the director. The director wanted the patients to openly rebel always against Nurse Ratched, you know, and they only spoke through the cinematographer of the picture, Haskell Wexler, who was later replaced by Bill Butzler, but Haskell Wexler claims that he shot everything but one or two minutes. So yeah. Ken Kessie, the book's original author, hated the ways his story was changed. In his book, it's from Chief Bromden's eyes, and then years later, he came across the film on TV, not realizing what it was. Now, when he did, he changed channels because he promised to never watch the completed film. He went so far as to see the producers, an unprecedented step even for Roald Dahl, who similarly saw a little bit of Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory on television. He vowed never to watch that film, and then, you know, he realized he turned it off. So yeah, two similar stories right there, in a way. Uh, interestingly though, Warner Brothers also went to Willy Wonka now. That film was originally at Paramount, but Paramount didn't see any worse than it after it flopped, so they sold it to Warner Brothers. Anyway, back to One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Now, one of the best stretches is when Randall requests to watch the World Series on TV, and Ratched has a very tight schedule, which, if she takes his advice, which is, fuck the schedule may disturb older patients. Another case of the villain is not always wrong, but after not enough people vote to watch the World Series, reaction shots are especially prevalent in this scene, um, mere few seconds long each to show hands up or hands down as if a bomb's gonna go off into if they don't do things, almost Hitchcocky, sorry, Hitchcockian, and where do I put the emphasis, Hitchcockian? Uh, anyway, moving on, but almost Hitchcockian, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, if they if they don't do things, a bomb's going to go off metaphorically. So what is technically a fizzle when Nurse Ratched denies his request feels like just as much of an explosion as a Michael Bay movie. And we all know this is infinitely better than a Michael Bay movie, <laughs> in my opinion. You know, if you like them, you know, every person has their own taste. It's all good. Anyway, so the tone is switched for our in-between scene. Arguments about a Monopoly piece that are broken up by Randall spraying the patients with some sort of small hose or pipe to break up the repetitive arguments. Now he tries to lift the sink, obviously. You remember he tries to lift the sink, but he fails. 
and it's the perfect example of the tone shifts the film goes through. For the first time, we see his optimism defeated and his rebellious spirit seemingly vanquished for a little bit. He insists he's warming up. The scene builds up for us. It might be crazy enough to work, but no. He, he, he says, and I slightly paraphrase, but I tried, didn't I, damn it? At least I tried that. But before that, his silence and refusal stayed outright. He failed speaks volumes. He still wants to remain optimistic, and you can see that. You can feel that in his performance. And Jack Nicholson just acts amazingly in this role, you know? And, yeah, I think that, uh, <laughs> you know, he should, he should come back to movies again. Like, he's not retired or anything, but I just haven't seen him in too much stuff. Is he retired, maybe? I actually don't know. I have to search it up later. Anyway, so, uh... Louise Fletcher is absolutely amazing as Nurse Ratchet. Speaking of amazing acting, a performance that can send shivers down your spine. Now, she observed the, that the old-fashioned hairstyle she spotted showed her uptight nature. Her reasoning for Nurse Ratchet was she actually cared for the patients, but didn't go about it the right way. Now, she wanted her character to remain unsympathetic in the audience's eyes, but still human. She herself was so disturbed by her own performance that for years, she just couldn't watch the film. In fact... Louise thought it was so disheartening that she acted out cold and, deta and detached that at one point near the end of shooting, she wanted to make him laugh. So, so she inexplicably removed her dress and ended up only in panties just to make him laugh. Like, <laughs> I've heard of some male actors who randomly, like, uh, pull down their pants as a joke. I don't know. Like, I don't, I, I don't know if that, I don't know about that. It always seems a bit iffy. Um, anyway. So, uh, Louise Fletcher's reasoning for Nurse Ratched was she... Sorry, I was repeating myself there. One plot thread is now set up. Billy never tells his mother about his girlfriend, Celia, and it's said Billy tried to commit suicide. This ultimately culminates later in him uh, killing himself with breaking glass. If I detail the method, I feel like that would be wrong. So I'll just, uh, I'll just say that and not how, okay? So yeah, his suicide was made to be only one of two deaths in the movie. Him and then Randall himself. Now another character, can't remember who, but he was made to live behind the scenes to make these two deaths more shocking. But another of my favorite, let me just go to the shocking bit for a moment. Well, okay, so I feel like death in media is better when it's sparing in a way because killing off people left and right like who are you gonna care for you know like in game of thrones sure it's fine you know kill who you want but even the risk of anyone dying at any moment you know if you have death more sparingly you can feel it even more when a character dies you know there's more than dying there are fates worse than dying there are character interrelationships and things like that that you just can't get by dying they could be dying inside but literally dying sometimes just limits your options in terms of character arcs or whatever unless you deliberately want to break off a character arc with a death so yeah you anyway so what is this a seminar on how to pull off death in movies <laughs> uh you know you know what i mean but you know i hope i hope you've taken that point definitely anyway so uh yes of course one another of my favorite things of course is when randall he desperately tries to entice patients to watch the ball game with him and votes to turn the television on, but then he fails, pretends a game is playing, and he narrates the fictional game for the others. 
and this is after Ratchet's like the meetings adjourned you got 99 votes and he's talking like this and he's talking like this and you can again he Jack Nicholson is electric in this scene he electrifies and we need his voice because he can change things for the better no guys this is not the end of the podcast it's just you know he his performance is literally electrifying like I just <laughs> any any film he's in, he has that presence. Even if he overacts sometimes, which I don't really think he does in this film. You know, it seems in character to overact a little. Um, you know. Anyway, so uh, everyone. Speaking of Jack Nicholson, everyone but Jack Nicholson got seasick during when they were filming the fishing scene. Now the scene took a week, and Danny DeVito still gets queasy when he thinks back on it. So uh, the film was shot entirely in sequence by the fishing scene. That's, uh, you know, shooting in sequence is called editing in camera. And Steven Spielberg used it prominently in at least E.T. the Extraterrestrial. If not, probably more of his films. But he prefer, like, as far as I know, he prefers to shoot in sequence. Especially, well, maybe that was just for E.T. Who knows? But it helps the kids really get into character and go through the story in order, you know. And I think... You know, that that technique definitely makes sense. You know, I'd like to try it if I ever get past my writer's block and actually get to film something and if COVID gets over with and whatever. Anyway. (laughs) Yeah. So, yes, back to Danny DeVito. He was in an off-Broadway revival of a stage version of this movie in 1971. He was first cast in this movie. He was the first one to be cast. Jack Nicholson makes a less famous reference in this movie. I mean, he says, here's Johnny five years later in The Shining, but here he's in electroconvulsive therapy and conductor gels being placed on the side of his head. He improvised a reference, a little little dabble, do you? Referencing Brill Cream Hair Cream. During the 1960s and 70s, this was a popular product for men's hair care. And, uh, yeah, I think it's, uh, I don't know. I think that he openly, even when he's been through some stuff, and he goes through some shit in this movie, but uh, even when he's been through a little bit of stuff, he uh, he never really turns himself down for anyone. He, I'm gonna I'm gonna replace a word here because I know some people really don't like this word. Okay, I'm going to say I'm going to say runt instead of the uh, word that he says. Just for some listeners, I'll say runt. Okay, but, uh, you know, he's like, well, I don't want to break out the meeting on nothing, but she's something of a runt, ain't she, Doc? He's referring to, uh, of course, Nurse Ratched. He always speaks his mind, whether for better or worse. And, uh, yeah, I know some of the transitions seem a bit abrupt, but, uh, you know, I just thought I'd be open about when I'm doing the takes and recording. Sometimes I stitch them together more seamlessly. Sometimes I don't, you know, that sort of thing. (laughs) It's like how the French New Wave, which I admittedly got to catch up on, it, you know, shows you you're watching a film or in this case, listening to a podcast. (laughs) Anyway, yes. So the first real sign of emotion, in my opinion, that we get from Chief is a smile when Randall climbs over the electric fence. And, yeah, there is really a sense of colour from the school bus that was missing in my experimental black and white viewing. The water and the outside world that's used very sparingly. If this was like a 
if this was like maybe a silent or early sound film with very sparing use of color that would be the scene the fishing scene would be the color the blue and stuff or maybe it's one of those films from well whatever era that switches between black and white and color hypothetically well both of those are hypothetically honestly but uh who knows that that could definitely work for this movie only some sequences could be presented in full color uh unless they really just wanted to uh you know just go with the the dull colors and then the colors that pop you know i can understand what they were doing with that and i'm not sure united artists at the time would uh let them shoot black and white probably because they did film like raging bull five years later anyway so yes the uh there's really a sense of color but the only really noticeable music i'll actually kind of skip that point because there is noticeable music just not too much music that's uh non-diegetic you know uh diegetic is what you can hear if you're live in the scene or whatever but non-diegetic is just you know if if scorsese plays give me shelter and the characters can't hear it but you can you know anyway so the fishing scene was not originally planned to be there chief bromden escaping at the end was to be the only moment that just had more color now color in this film i would say is technically unnecessary um but i sort of amend that point to say you know they could have color scenes or black and white just has a certain feel that you know even just seeing the lighter gray skies and less contrast provides a bit of a happier feel in that nostalgic type of way than nostalgic for the old world or whatever or you know that type of thing and you know the ending goes from sad to happy it could suit both tones perfectly high contrast low contrast perfect just uh, tweak the scene a little you know that would be great so uh yes there's definitely i think both help the cold feel but black and white really sells the cold feel of most of those scenes so yeah nurse ratchet is confronted by the others in the film she hides the cigarettes the first truly emotionally sadistic act in comparison to the others which are relatively benign banal any form of freedom as color in fact i think that's sort of the limited color they were going for any form of freedom at all you know splashing around in the pool maybe that's just free to play until they're interrupted and you know they they have to go back and stuff and they no i mean you know i think I, I'm, I'm misremembering anyway what does happen at least is you know they lose their privileges or something like that if i remember correctly anyway the school bus the water in the outside world the outside world itself and i'm repeating myself now uh, the physical violence in the first time it occurs is guards restraining randall as he tries to physically punch him and pull him away from his friends and it's like the second explosion of this movie it's a brief burst not glamorized and it's the culmination of chaos handheld cinematography which mind doesn't really shake much there's quicker cuts like with the reactions chaotic screaming which only intensifies the heightened circumstances and a sense of physical disorder that only works because of the restraint shown thus far um one actor sydney lusick became so upset during even rehearsals for the scene at the end where chief smothers mcmurphy as a mercy killing that uh, sydney had to be taken from the set also did you know that uh, chief himself i counted the exact amount of words he says and i always had the subtitles on to help me understand things or whatever but he says 151 words over three scenes and his second scene he has a long monologue so that probably helps six in the first scene he speaks 95 in the second and 50 in the third 
though he need not speak much. Now Randall winks and he smiles, and Randall's mind is not really gone at that point, which is a nice, you know, Chief smiles at him back <laughs> moment. Chief's monologue is actually in a pretty much a single take, if not a single take, and yeah, a few more things. So uh, 20th Century Fox wanted to distribute this movie. Their agreement was the entire thing would be financed were the ending rewritten to let McMurphy live. However, it was taken elsewhere because, you know, it was like how Mel Brooks really wanted Young Frankenstein to be in black and white and then Columbia, who uh, would produce the last picture show that same decade, uh, they were like, oh, no, no, we don't want to do black and white. Only if... uh, only if Orson Welles recommends it to Peter Bogdanovich or something like that. <laughs> oh, man. Like, did Mel Brooks really have... He released Young Frankenstein and Blazing Saddles in the same year. I guess I had to prove him... he had to prove himself in the eyes of the studios that year, but whatever. You know, he did the producers before, beforehand. Sorry, I'm, I'm kind of mixing things up a little bit, but let me, let me kind of go on this tangent a little bit, if that's okay. Uh, okay, so... Yeah, anyway, what I was really getting at was, uh, you know, it was black and white. Columbia didn't want black and white. He took it to 20th Century Fox. They did a black and white, and it looks beautiful. Um, You know, it's a comedy with fantastic black and white cinematography. Please check it out if you haven't already. Mel Brooks is hilarious, honestly. So is Gene Wilder. Anyway, uh, rest in peace, Gene Wilder, or Willer. I forget how the name is. I'm sorry. Anyway, now back to the film. I'm ostensibly reviewing One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. So yeah, it was taken elsewhere because they wanted to be, they wanted McMurphy to live. So Chief Brumden also does not speak until one hour twenty three minutes. And since I watched the DVD with a PAL speed up, that's one hour nineteen. It's roughly four or five minutes faster. So one hundred and twenty minutes will uh, get you one hundred and sixteen or one hundred and fifteen minutes. That also happens in the UK or New Zealand. It does not happen in America though. And it's only DVDs where it happens in Australia, UK, whatever. You know, that sort of thing. And only PAL. If it's NTSC, you're fine. Anyway, so uh, a bit too technical for you there. But uh, yeah, the film's title, supposedly it foreshadows the movie's ending. So let's see, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Well, I, I guess, in a way, I guess, I can, I can see. He escapes with the water thing. So, uh, yeah, although there is that bit in the, toward the middle where he escapes over the fence and kind of jumps over the cookie's nest or whatever, <laughs> I can kind of see that. I'm still not sure. Anyway, but also, bit of a happy note, like Billy overcoming his stutter in the film, even momentarily, one worker who stuttered was so inspired by working on this film, his stutter was permanently gone. So, yeah. An underrated moment in this film is when the film takes a good amount of time as Randall thinks to himself. He's goes for, he goes from serious to a sly smile in more than 30 seconds at the very least. Another great example of the tone shift, Billy's happy with Candy, the woman that they met on the boat when they were stealing the bus. Sorry, they met when they were doing the bus. Stealing the bus. But then Nurse Ratched reminds him of his mother and his shame and he stutters. And it feels absolutely terrible. A moment of happiness, soured in seconds. There's also an understated emotion that Brad Dourif shows in his face. He goes from smiling to hanging his head down, and yes, it's noticeable, but it's not overstated, like many, like many dramatic moments would normally be in Hollywood. It's just that. It's a sign of great acting. 
And then the second burst of violence occurs when McMurphy punches one of the staff to the ground. Randall punches them. We see Billy with blood around him and glass in his hand. Only when Nurse Ratched finds him, it's just that sort of uh, reaction shot principle principle type thing like I think only when we see her reaction shot then we see the tragedy of Billy's body and uh, of course yeah when Nurse Ratched is strangled by McMurphy in this moment of violence the climactic part of the film it well you know penultimate part I guess it always shows that violence has consequences in this world they can't risk acting out and it's sort of that it's sort of that line when to push and when not to push if you're looking at it from the two different perspectives if you consider Nurse Ratched as possibly a a protagonist of sorts, an unofficial one, if you're looking at the film through her point of view, you know? Anyway, yeah, um, that probably made no sense. That was just the thought I had. And finally, the tragedy of the final scene, the ultimate bittersweet moment. Randall's lying there, chief over him, and oh man, that moment is just so fucking powerful oh man and that's metaphorically speaking the third explosion of the movie in a way you know the explosions they're technically fizzles but they feel like bangs you know especially I think that moment is just perfect in its construction he's like we're gonna escape together and then you know he has to strangle him with the pillow and you can see him struggle but then chief knows he's gonna be better because you know he can't he can't let him live with a lobotomy and it's just tragic and at the same time it's triumphant tragic and triumphant and it is just one of the perfect movie scenes ever and i i just don't think i just don't think many endings have ever topped that in a movie in my opinion that is one of my absolute favorite movie endings ever put to celluloid so yeah if you want to create something like that if you want to attempt to create something like that i say go ahead burrow into your deepest emotions your deepest desires fears make a film like one flew over the cuckoo's nest that is emotionally raw that that really you feel don't don't let a film make a viewer passive get the viewer involved in a movie and then you get movies like this one flew over the cuckoo's nest 1975 fantastic movie fantastic cast fantastic direction fantastic all across the board i love this movie 11 out of 10 you know but uh yeah i'm gonna go with my usual outro now because i want to publish this episode sooner rather than later so if you want to create if you want to inspire if you want to electrify much like jack nicholson and his fantastic acting we need your voice because you and change things for the better. Okay? Now go out there and change things for the better. <laughs>